0: As you can see by the screen up here that we're starting... we will go back a screen. Um, We're starting a new series today called Life's Healing Choices. And it has to do with this word blessed in spite of the fact that most of you would pronounce it blessed. In fact, the one song we sang this morning, we had to actually sing it incorrectly to get it to rhyme and to fit the meter. Blessed be. like Blessed be the name of the Lord. When in reality, believe it or not, the word is blessed. One syllable. Well, with that being said, the three cold men, and the three cold men would be me, the big dog on the front porch, my son, the medium-sized dog who sits on the first step, and then the little puppy, Joshua, who we chase under the porch from time to time. We really love places like Dave and Buster's and Chuck E. Cheese and Fun Zone. Now you go to the next picture. Anybody know what that is? It's one of those demonic games you play there. This is called Whack-A-Mole. I don't know if you know what Whack-A-Mole is all about, but this crazy game, a mole pops up out of that hole, you see one of them there, and you got this handle with a big club on it, and you hammer that mole down in the hole. Except when you hammer the mole down, another mole pops up. And the faster you go, you'll get to the point where you hammer down one mole and two moles pop up. And you hammer those down and suddenly three moles pop up. You bam, 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 like that. And all of a sudden four will pop up. You just cannot get it. I mean, this is the thing about this game, and this is why this game is so evil, is you cannot win. This is, this is, this is from the gates of hell, believe me. No matter how many times you slam down those other little I'm going to call them weasels, those, those other little critters there, they keep popping up, and pretty soon, like I did the last time we were together, I just threw that thing down and I walked away. I want no more to do with that kind of living. Well, I want to take a little whack-a-mole inventory. On the screen, you're going to see a bunch of words. They're on your message outline as well. And I'm wondering how many of these things... Go to the next screen. I'll come back to that one. There should be another screen with a whole bunch of words on them. There we go. How many of these things pop up in your life with regularity? I mean, look at some of these. Stress and worry and bad habits and perfectionism and compulsive thoughts. You know, about the time you, you get addiction you know, one addiction taken care of, another addiction pops up, or, you know, you got a regret, and as soon as you kind of get over that regret, another regret pops up, or, you know, maybe you're a perfectionist. Everything's got to be just so. You're kind of a little control freak. Well, guess what? Even Paul, now you go back to the previous three. Go back to the previous one. Paul had this whack-a-mole problem as well. I call it a whack-a-mole problem. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 18, Paul, I can picture him there with his little whack-a-mole machine going, but he says, I don't understand what I'm doing here. Because I—I I, I, what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate to do, I do it. And then he goes on and say, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. I have the desire to pound those molds down in the hole where they belong, but I can't get it done. And then he actually ends up in one version and says, Oh, what a wretched man I am. Now, I don't know how we'd say that in today's language, but, you know, I'm a real, I'm a real loser. Loser with the capital L. Now, the question is, what causes our whack-a-mole problems? Well, every problem in life has the very same root cause. And I think I wrote it out for you in the outline. It's called this. It's called playing God. Now, when I was a little kid, we used to play cowboys and Indians. Some people play cops and robbers. Some people play with their Barbie and Ken dolls. You know, you get a little older, you know, these guys, they're playing with their Nintendos, or they're playing with something else. You're always playing something. But the cause of our problems is playing God. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted to eat that fruit that God told them not to eat. But along comes Satan, and he says, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Or very literally, if you eat this fruit, you will be God's. Do you ever notice that Satan never says, if you eat this, you're going to be just like me? Never says that, because nobody wants to be like the devil. He just says, eat this and you will be your own God. Now, there is an entire philosophy built around this today. It's called the New Age Movement. Maybe you've heard about the New Age Movement. Maybe you've seen cars driving around town that got a crystal hanging from their their rear view mirror. That's part of it. They buy their crystals and they have all this kind of stuff. But the essence of the New Age religion in whatever form it comes in is that you are a God. You are divine. They will tell you that God is in you. And because God is in you, you are God. Well, playing God is our oldest temptation. Ezekiel, you see the passage on the screen, an Old Testament prophet was talking about the king of Tyre. And he said, in the pride of your heart, you say, I'm a God. Don't we say that today? I'm God's gift to women. I don't know what kind of God you believe in. (laughs) i don't want any of those gifts (laughs) yeah in the pride of your heart you say i'm a god but you are just a man and not a god though you think you're as wise as god i mean how often do we think we're as smart as god well i'll tell you how often you do that every time god tells you to do something and you choose not to do it guess what you're playing god we read the first three commandments this morning God says what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Every time you say, Labor Day weekend, going to the lake. Don't need it. I can do do without it one week. You're playing God. You're saying, you know something better. Every time you let, you know, when you're wandering around and out of the loose lips of your heart and mind, you say, oh God, it's cold outside. And you've taken God's name in vain. You have said, I can choose my own vocabulary rather than to choose the vocabulary that God would have me choose. I will be God. as a result, you know what the common denominator is in all of your problems? I care I'm not going to pick on you specifically, but do you ever have any problems? Yeah, you have problems. You have problems at school occasionally. You have any boy problems? occasionally? <laughs> problems with teachers. You have any problems with these bunch of Yahoos you're sitting with? You know what the common denominator is in all of your problems? you see you have a problem with school you have a problem with your mom and dad you have a problem with mark and laura you have a problem with me you have a problem with these people what name is in every one of those things i said you you are your own biggest problem if you didn't learn anything else today you learned that you are your own worst enemy and you cause most of your problems now i'm not going to be real terrible and say you know little wicked bad nasty person (laughs) because i am now going to give you the cure i'm going to give you the cure because it would be really mean of me to point out that all of you are your own worst enemies and not tell you how to do it the cure is what we're going to look at for the next eight weeks we're going to be looking at the eight so-called beatitudes of jesus They are the eight first statements. You heard Kevin read them to you before. They come from that very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts out this sermon by saying, I'm going to tell you eight ways to be cured. I'm going to give you eight ways to be healed. I'm going to give you eight ways to be blessed. Now, we call these the Beatitudes. And I had to stop and think the other day because somebody is going to say, Pastor, what does Beatitude mean? Well, I, I remember I used to have a girl in high school and I was a teacher. Her name was Lisa Beatus. B-E-A-T-U-S. Lisa Beatus. Well, Beatus in the Latin means what? Blessing. That's the Latin word for beatitude. Beatus. Blessing. Now, what does that word blessing or bless mean? Well, if you had your Bibles, and if Kevin would have read this to you today in the original Greek language in which he had written, you would have heard the word makariosmos makarismos now makarismos i'm giving you a little language lesson today Is just a poetic form of the word makar which means happy that's all it means to be blessed is what to be happy so jesus in his most famous sermon that he ever gave said i want to tell you how to be happy Remember that Goopy song a couple years ago? You want to be happy for the rest of your life? Never make another... Oh, that's another song. That's a different... But was it, he Don't worry, be happy, huh? That's the song I'm thinking of. I was think of an older song. The one that says, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. But we won't get into that. Here's the first beatitude. Here is the, the very first healing choice. And it's the very first one in the list that was read to us this morning. It said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now what does it mean to be poor in spirit well I'm going to tell you one thing we know is he's not talking about physical poverty there is no blessing in being physically poor what he's talking about here is spiritual poverty recognizing my sinfulness recognizing my hopelessness recognizing my helplessness. I love the uh, translation of this in the God's Word. It's kind of a paraphrase. It said, blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually helpless. You know, we got a bunch of little babies scattered around the church. One thing about the babies is they're pretty helpless. You know, when they start, you know, getting cranky and whiny, we don't say, hey, kid, take a hike, go to the refrigerator, get yourself a bottle. It takes somebody else to come in in the midst of their helplessness. Now, they're not smart enough or bright enough yet at this time to say, but mommy, I'm helpless. But that's what a cry is. I'm helpless, I'm hungry, and I can't do anything about it. Well, here's the point. You see it up there. The point is that I need to get to the point of I admit that I need help. I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. My life is a mess. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. God says if you develop that be attitude, if you change to that attitude, you will be happy. So I'm going to deal with the very first one today, and that's how to develop the attitude of being spiritually poor. Here's the very first thing. To be poor in spirit, I need to humbly admit I need help. That's a hard one. You know, I gotta face the truth about me. You know, maybe Kara didn't like to find out that she's the common denominator in all of her problems. She would just as soon I would have picked on him. Or him or her mom or her dad. I'm just saying we've got to stop living in denial, Kara. <laughs> And denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial means that you've got to get over it. That's why I call this first choice the reality choice. It's called, it's, I could call it a get-a-grip choice. I have to face the truth about me. But the truth about the truth is that I don't like the truth. Remember when Tom Cruise told the guy in the movie, or the guy in the movie, was it uh, Jack Nicholson, said, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, we can't handle the truth. (coughs) Dustin, you love the truth about other people. But you have trouble with the truth about you. And so do I. But see, the good news is that all of your habits, all of your hurts, all of your hang-ups, all of that common denominator stuff can be healed. The bad news is, Kara, the bad news is, Dustin, the bad news is, Barry, it takes humility. Humility. Yikes. In other words, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to swallow that I'm God pride because Jesus says what? Jesus said, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. There's your whole key out of this. Now, what is grace? Well, some of you remember, you know, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Another way of saying it is grace is the power you need to change. You can think to yourself mentally today. I don't care whether you're Ted or whether you're sitting way back at Eddie. Is there anything in your life today that needs to be changed? The answer is, well, I'll give you the answer first of all, yes, because you're both the common denominator in your problems too. And what does God say? God says, I will give you grace if you humble yourself. I'll give you the power to change whatever you need to change. Now, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if I want God's power to change, I need to learn something about humility. Now, what does this mean? Well, I'm going to get pretty specific here. There are some points that you need to admit about yourself. I picked on Kara enough. I'll I'll talk about myself for a moment. Uh, there There are some things that I regularly have to admit about myself if I expect God to bless my life. And these are things you need to do. The first thing I need to admit is that I'm broken. I'm broken. I have been broken by nature because I was born to sinful human beings. I've been broken by nurture. I wasn't treated the way I should have been treated. And so I'm just broken because of that. I learned bad habits from who? Probably from parents and grandparents and everybody else. I'm broken by the sins I've done. I'm broken by the sins that other people did against me. I I am broken by the really stupid choices I made in life I've been, I'm broken by the circumstances in my life. All I'm saying is, I'm not perfect. I said that once before in one of the churches I served, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, we don't like hearing that you're not perfect. We know you're not, but we don't like hearing it. <laughs> they preferred their pastor to be perfect. I got news for you. Nobody's perfect. I'm broken. I am a poor, miserable worm of a sinner. And guess what? That takes humility to say that. It's nothing I'm proud of. The second thing I need to admit is that the secrets that I hold on to make me sick. Psalm 32 says, When I refused to confess my sins, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide them all and you forgave me and all my guilt was gone. Let me ask you a really important question. What are you pretending today is not a problem in your life? I mean, you're going to fake it till you make it, but you're going to break it. That's all I can tell you. You hang on to some sins and you keep them inside, it will just fester. And guess what? Someday it's all going to come out all over you and all over other people. That's why you deal with it now. The third thing I just need to admit, I just need to admit it to defeat it. Proverbs 28 says, You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up to God, and God will show you mercy. I also need to, I also need to confess my pride, that my pride and my fear keep me stuck. And this problem is as old as man. Because I'm afraid to admit who I am, what do I do? I find all kinds of ways of hiding. Remember in Genesis, when they ate the apple, they shouldn't have been eating, and God came walking in the garden one night, strolling through, hey Adam, Eve, where are you at? What would they do? They hid from him. They were naked, they were ashamed, they were embarrassed. Now, do you ever put any masks on so we hide? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Everything's okay with me. We hide behind our masks. Some of you that are as old as I am may remember this popular book a couple of years ago. Remember the book called I'm Okay, You're Okay? Aren't that book, I'm Okay, You're Okay? There's a word for that. It's a theological term uh, that you get when you cross uh, a crocodile with abalone. It's a croc Uh I'm not okay and neither are you. But because of our pride, because of our fear, what do we try to do? We try to fix ourselves. And man, people try to fix themselves. They go to seminars, they hang crystals, they, they smoke pot, they, they drink. They, they, they do everything they can to hide their problems. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two sins. One, they've forgotten me, the spring of living water. In other words, they've forgotten where they can get a good drink. And number two, they've dug their own broken wells, that don't hold any water. You ever hear that before? That idea doesn't hold any water. Guess what? Every time you try to heal yourself, that doesn't hold any water. Go back to the living well. So the first thing I'm going to do is what? I am going to humbly admit that I need help. Here's the second thing. If I need help, I guess the second thing I should do is I should ask for help. I'm going to ask God for help. Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 1, we despaired of even life itself. I don't know if you ever thought about that Bible passage, but but Paul was really saying he was so depressed, so discouraged, he was ready to give up on life. I don't know if that many thought he was going to commit suicide, but he was bottomed out. But that verse goes on, he says, but we saw how powerless we were. That's step one, that's being poor in spirit. I don't have the power to change. He said, but that was good. It was good for me to do what? To admit my helplessness and powerlessness. For then we put everything into the hands of God. See, you don't know God is all you need until God's all you got. For we put everything in the hands of God. It says, who alone could save us, for God could even raise the dead. Think about that. God is able to raise the dead. did that with Jesus, didn't he? it stands the reason then that if God can raise a dead person he can raise a dead marriage if God can raise a dead person he can raise a dead career if God can raise a dead person he can raise a dead dream or a dead vision if God can raise a dead person then he can restore the love and the romance in your marriage you can go on and off now anybody can bring good out of good. You bring me something good and I can, I can bring good out of that. But only God can bring good out of what? Out of bad. He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. Or like kind of like our church sign says now, Jesus got crucified but Satan got nailed. He took something that seemed pretty bad and turned it into something pretty good. Nailing Satan. I need to ask God for help. Have you ever done this? Have you ever come to a point in your life like that prodigal son who's on his hands and knees in front of the hog trough, eating hog slop, where the Bible says when he came to his senses? Have you ever gotten to that point when you've said, man, everything in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the ups and downs, I'm going to put it all in your hands. Now, I know some of you are going to have to hit rock bottom. Happens. I'm going to spend the next three days down in the largest maximum security prison in America, Angola. Some of those guys who today are some of the most outstanding Christian men you'd ever want to meet had to hit rock bottom on their hands and knees in front of the hog trough, eating pig slop before they came to their senses. I just want to tell you, as your friend and as your pastor who loves you, Friends, don't wait that long. Don't wait until you hit a rock bottom. The easiest way to change is to see the light. The hard way is when you suddenly start feeling the heat. See, the problem is that most of us rarely change until the fear of change is finally exceeded by pain. I prefer that you never have to get to the pain point. You got a problem, ask God, deal with it. Here's the third thing. I must humbly accept help from other people. Oh, boy. Let me be blunt about this. You don't need to raise your hand. Anybody got a problem? Yeah, okay. I, got, I can think about it. You know that problem you like to get rid of? And don't be looking at the person next to you. You know that problem you like to get rid of? That temptation, that defect, that fault, that fear, that worry, that sense of loneliness you know, whatever in your life that's messing you over right now, you're never, ever going to get over that on your own. If you would, you could. You, if you could, you would. But you can't, so you won't. You can only get well when you're honest with other people. Not just with God, but with others. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, two are better than one because they have a re- good return for their work. But if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You can check my counting later, but start in Matthew, read the Revelation. I think I'm pretty right on this. Fifty-eight times in the New Testament it uses the phrase one another. One another. Love one another. Care for one another help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another. What do I got, about 50 to go? That gives you just a general idea. friend. I'm just saying, you were not meant to live this life all by yourself. You were never meant to face the problems and your sins by yourself. We have what somebody's called the longing for belonging. We're not just believers, as someone said. We're also belongers. But see, the next verse on your sheet, maybe on the screen, it's right up there. It's probably the most important verse for your health and holiness and your hope and becoming like Jesus and getting over all of your hang-ups. James five sixteen says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Oh, I could share testimony after testimony how I've seen that happen. I've seen people who walked into my office that were bent over like old people, could barely walk and complained about pain in their body and pain in their head. And pastor, they wanted to know whether I would pray for them to relieve this pain. They just couldn't straighten up. And I always say, surely I will pray for that pain, but can we talk a little bit? And there have been times, too many to count, that in the conversation people began to suddenly tell me that there were things worse in their life than the pain in their body. It was the pain that they were carrying around in their life. I remember a young girl in her 40s, all hunched over and in pain, who talked about having had multiple abortions and feeling the pain and the suffering of carrying that around And she told me that I was the very first person that she had ever told that to. She'd even kept it from her husband. And when we talked about how there's even forgiveness in that sin, even forgiveness there, and we pronounced the forgiveness of God over her, that young woman sat up straight. And she walked out with her head held up. The pain in her body was gone. Why? Because the pain of her sin was also gone. Pray for each other that you may be healed. Now, I'm not talking always about physical healing, but sometimes that's what happens. Some of the physical problems we carry around with would disappear if we would confess sins to God and confess to another person and have them pray for you. Now, you don't need to go tell everybody. I'm not asking for you all to come down here and tell me this morning. I don't need that. I'm not telling you to rent uh, the Goodyear blimp and fly it over the Super Bowl. You know, Mark Polium did the following. I'm not doing that. You only need to tell one or two other people, people you trust, people who don't have a big mouth. You, don't, you know, There's some people that are like a walking billboard. They know everybody else's business, and they blab it all over the place. You don't need to tell people like that. You need to tell people who will love you unconditionally, who will not look at you in judgment, but people who maybe sometimes will say, been there, done that, got over it. People who aren't going to blame you. You don't have to tell everybody. I want to suggest to you, friends, that the Bible says you ought to tell somebody because when you confess it to God and you tell someone else, that's where the healing begins. I am fully confident that these next eight weeks are going to be life-changing weeks. I I should say they can be life-changing weeks. But Jesus' beatitudes have nothing. I'm going to be bold about this. These next eight weeks will have nothing to offer you if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, these next eight weeks, right over your head. won't do a thing for you. Romans 5, 6 says, when, you, when we were unable to help ourselves, when is that? Right now. At the moment of our need, when was that? Right now, Christ died for us. Maybe all I'm saying today, friends, is this. Jesus came to give you grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. He came to give you grace, and grace is the power to change. When I used to be a little boy being raised by my grandparents and I'd get a cold, and you'd be coughing and hacking at the middle of the night, my grandma would always come in with this concoction of, which I found out later, southern comfort, sugar, and water, <laughs> or maybe Jack Daniels. I'm not sure. She said, drink this. It's good for what ails you. I'm telling you, you don't need, you don't need that. God's grace is for what ails you. Now, I know that there's probably still, I, I know this every time I'd ever say this, I know that there are always people who still sit there and will say, But my problem isn't that bad. If you told me that, I'd say, Well, how bad does it need to get before you need help? Let's pray. Father, not a one of us here is perfect. We all have areas in our lives that are unhealthy and out of balance. Some of these areas, Lord, are so painful that we can hardly even stand to think about them. And I know, Lord, that there are people here today who have struggled with shame and guilt and secrets and depression and low self-esteem. There are people here that are struggling with Habits and secret sins and hurts and fears of being out of control or the fear that they're losing their mind or just plain simple going crazy. Lord, give them, give me the courage to take the first step to help and help right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we all humble ourselves before you so that we might find the grace to change. In Jesus' name we pray.